Hello, Internet. It's been a little while. I'm Stephen Harowitz, and I will be your host for this episode of the Campfire Storytelling Podcast, recorded here in St. Louis, Missouri. In this episode, I have something extra special for you because we have stories to share from our return to in-person events. Our first event was the Welcome Back to the Campfire event, and our second was a Campfire Showcase. Both events featured storytellers who told their stories virtually due to COVID, so we invited them back to tell their stories in front of a live audience. Now, this episode will highlight one of those storytellers. You can catch all the other storytellers by subscribing to the Campfire Storytelling Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's head to the campfire to listen to Carlo's story from our live and in-person Welcome Back to the Campfire event. This is certainly different than sitting on my bed on a Zoom call. <laughs> so, so, um, so have you ever had someone try to tell you a story or try to explain something to you that in the moment you knew it was important, but you couldn't quite understand what, what, is, what it was they were trying to tell you? What, what was the meaning? What was the purpose? But you, you could grasp its importance. And so because of that, um, because of that, it, it, you held on to that for years, or maybe maybe it held on to, to you uh, and, ca- and carried along with you as you went through your life. I had that experience with something that my Sicilian grandmother, Rosalia, tried to tell me once. And it was over three decades, three, three decades later when I was diving into a series of passions and things I was excited about, um, and I began studying the, you know, through the life of the Italian Baroque artist Caravaggio that I accidentally discovered what Rosalia tried to tell me. And so when I was born, my, uh, my grandparents were already, had lived in America for 50 years, uh, and, and they moved here when they were 19. And, but, but after 50 years of being in the U.S., like, like many uh, immigrants, they... Um, because of their social circle and their family, they hadn't really had to fully master English. And so, you know, the Sicilian was still very much part of them and their lives. And when we went over to their house, it was very much, as a child, a foreign experience. I mean, everything about, so much about that experience was just different and unique. From the moment you walked in, the, the, the furniture and the decorations and the sounds and the smells and the tastes and the food and certainly, certainly, certainly the language um, was always a, a struggle to understand, and I remember just listening. And even, even from the moment we knocked on her door to, to go see her as a kid, by that point she was in her 80s, and we'd knock on the door, and you'd hear her way before she got there because she had this walker, and you'd just hear the thump, 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 thump. And I remember as a kid feeling sad for her, like she was struggling, and it was hard. But when she opened the door after what felt like an eternity, just this look on her face, just this radiating love and joy and just almost laughing. She was so happy to see us. And uh, she, she, <laughs> she grabbed me by the face and go, Carlo, and just kiss me on the face. And she grabbed my brother, Maiko, and she grabbed my brother and kiss him on the face. And that was one of the mysteries, Maiko. My brother's name was Mark. 
<laughs> in all other circumstances, he was Mark. But in that household, among all the other things I didn't understand why or what was happening or what was being said, he was Michael, and we just accepted it. And uh, one day we were leaving, and as we were leaving, just the leaving was the same as, as, as arriving. She would never have said goodbye and let us walk out. She walked us to the door. So this tiny little house, it was, you know, a 30-second or less walk. But, I mean, we, we went with her, and she just thump, 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 thump. And just she never complained and just would be talking the whole way. And we got one day we got to the door. And she turned, and she's looking down at my brother and I. And just and looking down, she was maybe 4'11", four, four something like that. So we were a little, but she just was beaming with love. That was one thing that was never, never a mystery is her love. Uh, and she looked down at us, and she said, let me tell you why I know his name is Michael." And she dove into some story about the archangel St. Michael and something about a sword and a whole lot of things I, I didn't fully understand. I did I, just couldn't understand what she was saying because of her accent and the way she said it. And my father was never really good at explaining those things. So she got done with that story and was beaming down and very proudly said, and that's how I know his name is a Michael. <laughs> but it was still a mystery. And it stayed a mystery to me for years later. And eventually she passed. And I never, I never knew. But I, for some reason, I always remembered that. Why did she think his name was Mike? And I, I had told myself stories. Well, maybe it was dementia, or maybe it was this, or maybe it was that. But it was always a mystery. And then, you know, years later, about seven years ago, my, my father passed away. And something sparked in me because of a lot of other things I had gone through in my life at that point, where I'm like, I'm just going to dive into this part of myself. And I grew up and went into this little household that like, felt like stepping into another country. I don't know anything about Sicily or Italy or Italian. And I just dove in. I, I found a teacher online uh, via, via a website, and she lives in Rome, and her, Valentina and I start talking every single week, just diving into everything and learning and speaking, and suddenly the language of my grandparents was becoming something I could understand. And then I began diving into, uh, I always loved art and history in, in college, in high school, and I had a chance to start diving into um, to try to understand Italy, diving into the lives of these Italian artists that I found so fascinating. So I, I started devouring biographies about Michelangelo and Leonardo and Raphael and Botticelli and all these people. It was just so, so exciting to me. It's just it's fun. I just feel like I'm, I'm getting this connection to this part of me. And uh, eventually I made my way to Italy and I was in Rome and I got to meet Valentina. And Valentina was kind enough to give me this, what felt like this backstage tour where we're going through Rome and these little side streets and the little piazzas and little nooks and crannies that you might not see if you were there for your first time. And we turned the corner at one point. And she's like, oh, we have to go into this church. And, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey and I'm, you know, the, the, these, these mysteries of my childhood and the sounds and the smells and tastes are all around me triggering all these memories and all these just connections back to, back to Rosalia. And we go to this church, and, and I noticed the name of the church is, so La Chiesa is a church in Italian, La Chiesa di San Luigi de Francese, which is the church of St. Louis of the French. I'm like, ah, that's kind of fun. So, so it was like this little like, fun little synchronicities. I get all excited, and she's like, ah, we have to go in here because there's some Caravaggio paintings. Now, at that point, I knew nothing about Caravaggio, except he had painted 
uh, a, a picture that was on the cover of the only book I kept from my years of college. Like, the only, like all the finance books, everything, I don't need those anymore. But this painting was so beautiful. We didn't even get to study him or his work or that time period in that class, but the painting was so gorgeous and amazing. It just, I just stared at it for many, many years. I always I kept the book because of the, the cover, you know, I just loved it. So she's like, well, we have to go in there because of the Caravaggio. So we go to the, the front of the church where the altar is and we make a left and we go over to the to this little chapel that's off this nook of the church. And um, the chapel had three walls, and each wall had this giant painting from the life of St. Matthew, and they were all done by this artist when he was like 22 years old or something silly. And there was the painting from my book, and we can go ahead and pull that up if you can. That uh, big, bigger, I mean, wider than my arms. And, uh, you know, is is way. I mean, I th I thought it was this big. I, I had no idea. I didn't study it, but like, well, well I, how big is it? I don't know. This big, but it's huge. And I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, I don't have like any celebrity crushes or sports heroes or anything like. But but staring at that, I felt like one might if they had a celebrity crush and they turned the corner and there they were. I was just. I was just in awe of this thing. And 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 it's. You know, it's. It tells the story when. Um, when Jesus on the far, you're right, is standing in the corner and runs into St. Matthew, who's the tax collector, and says, come with me. And it's this whole story, I could, I could do a, a half-hour thing about that, but this whole story of all these things that are happening, it's the first time a biblical story was painted in uh, clothing of that time period that had never been done before. And it's just this, all this wonderful things happening. And in real life, it was there, and all this emotion, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm just struck by it. I stayed there as long as I could without feeling like I was being rude to Valentina. And eventually I left and made my way back home. And I'm like, you know what? I need to study this guy because I'm, I'm fascinated by anyone that could, anyone who's, you know, 400 year old artwork that could stir me like that. So I did. I started getting all the books and audiobooks and podcasts and everything I could about this fellow. And one day I'm driving along and listening to one of the audiobooks. And this author said something that none of the other authors had said before which was um, Caravaggio was not the artist's real name. That was his nickname. He was born in this little town of Caravaggio, was up, up near Milano in the northern, northern part of Italy. And there's a lot of Italian names that are very, they, they use the same names over and over again. So Michelangelo, Leonardo, Vincenzo, Santo, Salvatore, all these names. So people get nicknames, especially back then, of like where they were from to kind of just, well, this is the Michelangelo that's from Caravaggio. Okay, so the other thing you need to know. So his name was Michelangelo Marissi. The Italians still do this. They often will name their children in a certain pattern where the firstborn son's named after the father's father, the firstborn daughter is named after the mother's mother, and then after that they start picking and choosing from aunts and uncles that they like. So the, each family has sort of this uh, limited pool of names that are that family's names. Well, Michelangelo was not a Marissi family name. So why did they pick that? And the author was going into the specifics of this. He's like, well, he was born on September 29th, which is the festival of St. Michael. And even especially back then, the, the plague was still a thing. You know, the, the infant mortality rates were really high. So anything remotely auspicious that happened on your child's birth, you did not dare ignore that. So he had to be Michelangelo because he was born on September 29th, September 29th, which was also my brother's birthday. <laughs> and I'm, I'm driving along, and I, I kind of 
blanked out for a second because I'm like, ah, that's, that's what grandma was saying. That's the story. She was trying to tell me this and it was something about St. Michael and that's it. So he had to be, he had to be Michael. There's no other choice. <laughs> he was Michael. And uh, so she told me this and, and I just got such great joy. I felt, I felt like she was sitting there with me, smiling at me, you know, just looking at me like, and that's how I know his name was Michael. I knew it now. <laughs> I, I just, I, I could feel her love. I could feel this connection for 30 years of, of time period with her and through hundreds of years with this artist who had nothing to do with her. But when, you know, all these, you know, when my dad died and my mom had died recently, I, I, I said, I just got to the point where I started saying yes to certain things in my life. I said, yes, I want to study Italian. I want to figure out this part of my life. And I want to dive into these things that were, fun electives in college that I just have a real passion for. And, and as I, each, each yes I said, each, each time I said yes to something, it pulled me like a current towards other things that I had no way of seeing, you know, I would go in that direction. So it's like one door would open and I'd find 12 more doors I didn't know existed. I'd go through the next door and there'd be 12 more doors. And I, I really think that if we, can, if we can make space in our lives for those things, you know, there's, you know, there's so many people I've met that say, I've always wanted to play an instrument. I've always wanted to go to Machu Picchu. I've always wanted to read this book. When we say yes to those things that our heart is calling us so strongly to, it, you don't know what that's going to lead you to, to some, some new passion, a new career, some new life calling, uh, the love of your life. You, you, know, you don't know what... what mysteries in your life it may solve in terms of your purpose or your past or your family or just yourself and what joys that, that, that might come from listening to those things that keep gnawing at us of, I always wanted to do this, I always wanted to go there, I always wanted to try that. So that's what I learned, it's just, just diving in, when I, dive in, I dove in to myself and dove in and connected with this deeper aspect of me, then all of a sudden, all these parts of my life that had been strange and foreign and, and un, I, I couldn't understand them, suddenly made sense to me. And suddenly, even the words from my grandma from 30 years ago were clear. And so I just hope, I, just hope, I want that for everybody, to say, just say yes to something that's, that's calling to you and follow your dreams and enjoy your journey. Thank you so much. That is a wrap. You can make sure to hear the other episodes from our return to in-person events by subscribing to the Campfire Storytelling Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a review. It helps others find our podcast, support our students, and to prove to the internet that we are legit and not a rando podcast out in the interwebs. We'd love to have you come out for an event or even take a class. You can visit campfire.com. That's C-M-P-F-R.com for all the details. Whether you live in St. Louis or nowhere nearby, there are ways to attend our events virtually. You can also find out more about that at campfire.com. That is C-M-P-F-R.com. As always, a big thank you to the Campfire team, our podcast producer, Jeff Allen, and everyone who attends these live events. Tonight's stories were recorded live at the High Low, one of the wonderful venues that the Kranzberg Arts Foundation runs here in St. Louis, Missouri. 
Thank you for listening to the Campfire Storytelling Podcast. I've been your host, Stephen Harowitz. Until next time.